the incomparable. Number 386, December 2017. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Incomparable and indeed welcome back to the increasingly inaccurately named UK Rebels episode of the now traditional annual incessant Star Wars chat here on The Incomparable Network. And this year we are, of course, talking about episode 8, The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson and released uh, not too long ago. Joining me, oh, I'm Anthony Johnston, hello. Joining me this time are uh, James Thompson from Scotland. I I know what you're going to say, I changed my hair (laughs) this is not going to go the way you expect it to uh, because we then have two honorary brit guests this time in the form of serenity coldwell happy beeps buddy and moises chuyan who can pull off a decent british accent but we won't ask him to i think he's just tooling with you sir (laughs) oh god the very first thing i've got to say is for american listeners you don't know this but the second in command on Hux's ship is a really, really insanely, famous comic actor from the UK. Insanely yeah. famous. Like, <laughs> I, I, I did a triple just, take. Oh, the first time goodness. I saw the movie, I was like, we no, all they did. They, they did. They did. <laughs> they really did. And he's quite good. It's, uh, yeah, it was quite extraordinary. Anyway, his name's Adrian Edmondson. He played a character, once played a character called Eddie Hitler. So, uh, kind of, you know, felt appropriate. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> Yes, we're here to talk about The Last Jedi. Uh, It is almost impossible to talk about this movie in any meaningful way without wading right into spoilers. So um, let's just say, I think we're all agreed here. I'll speak for us all to say that, you know, I think largely it's fair to say we all like the movie. And if you love Star Wars... And if you don't, why in God's name are you listening to this podcast? Uh, You should go and see The Last Jedi now, no question, before you listen to this show. So now we will sound the spoiler horn uh, and say, what the hell is up with so many things in this movie? (laughs) Oh my gosh. This movie is a seven layer cake of... of, I don't even know what it's of. It's just a seven layer cake. It has layers. It is awesome and frustrating (laughs) and sometimes literally because of the same things. And I love it. It is, I can't remember a Star Wars movie that had me sort of bouncing in so many different directions in terms of bits I like, bits I didn't like, my overall thoughts on it. Just, wow. You know, I mean, hats off to Ryan Johnson, who's an incredible filmmaker. And I think most of us knew that anyway, but... Holy cow! I have I have oh, two yeah. uh, two minor opening statements. One a statement of disclosure: I am friends with Ryan Johnson. Uh, he has bought me dinner exactly once. I gave him a DVD of Pete's Dragon once. Uh, that that is the extent to which any bribery Bias. occurs. Uh, no, yeah, I, I I I when he got the gig, I congratulated him. Um, I I was present when he and another film festival uh, going pal sang uh, Weird Al Yankovic's Yoda at film festival karaoke um and and i feel like i feel like i really saw the origin of the last jedi right there um but that aside i i i have not been in touch with my friend the entire time that he has been making a star wars movie and so though you might think i know like any behind the scenes anything i know absolutely nothing absolutely nothing <laughs> all right well that's good that's good to know the, the 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 one other thing i was going to say is that generally people will say um well, you really have to see it a second or third time to really appreciate it as an ap- 
apologistic gesture of, well, you just didn't get it, blah, 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 blah. This is a movie that I find really does uh, benefit from that second viewing when you're no longer paying attention to the plot events as they are happening and you're paying attention to the character dynamics from a different perspective entirely. Uh, that That is that is my my general Syracusean opening statement. Yeah, I would agree with that because the story in this is so surprising in so many ways that it does kind of, yeah, re- as you say, really benefits from a second viewing. James, didn't I see you say that you've now seen it three times? Yes, I've seen it three times. You know, uh, you know speaking as a, a diehard true Star Wars fan who saw the original in the cinema in the 70s, slept for many years under Star Wars bedsheets and has visited Skywalker Ranch I have to say, I am disappointed. I'm disappointed that everybody didn't love it as much as I did. (laughs) It was absolutely brilliant, I thought. And I have seen it three times, and each time I've found other little details and background things in it. Uh, There really is a lot in it, isn't there? Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) A fake-out he did! (laughs) (laughs) Serenity, you're the only person I haven't seen actually talking about this too much online. So what, I mean, I assume you liked it, but... Tell it, give us a bit of an opening statement about it, if you like. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have been talking about it, but I've kind of been talking about it under the guise of Rot 13, uh, which ah, is a... Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a, a friend of ours a couple of years back when uh, when Force Awakens came out was like, I want to talk about this film on Twitter, but half of our friends haven't seen it yet. Uh, so then we all started using Rot 13 uh, cipher code to talk about it instead. So I've, I've posted a fair amount just in what looks like gibberish to the average viewer which might cause you to just kind of scroll past it. Uh, Yeah, I love this film. Um, When it was over, I kind of leaned over to my friend who I was sitting next to and I was like, I would be okay if this movie was just like seven hours longer. Like I could <laughs> not because the movie, which is already very long, very long, yeah. uh, would really benefit from being seven hours longer. But more that I just enjoyed. I enjoy Ryan Johnson's st- storytelling so much, and I enjoyed like I enjoyed every scene of this movie, even though it was not. And we'll talk about structure later. It's not structured the way that you expect a movie, and let alone a Star Wars movie, to go. It is still. It's so engaging. Every scene is. So engaging that it makes me uh, made me really really excited. Uh, I guess my thesis statement. Um, I almost forgot that we we do these. Uh, <laughs> my my general thesis statement about the Last Jedi and why I think it affects people so divisively, shall we say? Uh, it has affected people so divisively online. Uh, is that at its core, this is a story about everybody failing tremendously. Uh, and how they learn or do not learn from that failure. Indeed. And I, I think that applies to every every single character in every single situation. Which well, is and Yoda even literally says it at one point. He literally <laughs> says the greatest teacher failure is. I mean, if that's not hanging your hat on what this movie is about, you know, I don't know what is. I think one of the... And this is just going from what I've seen of people's reactions. I suspect some of the negative reaction comes from the fact that this both feels like a Star Wars movie. Like, you know, there's no question that Johnson, uh, much like Gareth Edwards, actually, in Rogue One, has really, really, because he's the right age, the same age as us, grew up loving Star Wars. He really knows how to make a movie look and feel like a Star Wars movie. But story-wise, this does not feel like any other movie 
in the Star Wars canon, not even like Empire, um, not just in his own storytelling sort of visual style, but in literally the plot and things that happen and the way characters are treated. And I think maybe that causes, you know, some sort of confusion uh, and dichotomy with people. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong, but I do think that's part of the reason why some people are having such a hard time with this movie because i mean would you guys agree it really feels like a star wars movie even though it doesn't play out like one i think the thing that got me initially was in that first scene was the initial joke um so to give some background um i uh through a variety of complicated failings managed to book myself into a subtitled showing of the film uh and this actually helped because in the opening scene when he was doing the, you know, calling for general hugs as opposed to general hucks, the, the joke, I got the joke from that. But I think well, I asked people uh, in one of the slacks and they were about 50% of the people didn't get that. And seeing the sort of that, that, that humor kind of threw me somewhat and then it continues on through the film. And I think that's something that might have thrown people off this. The, the humour is quite different. I mean, the, you know, there was humour in Force Awakens, no question, but the humour here is of a different kind. I actually didn't see that. I didn't know about the hugs, hucks thing. Uh, the only sort of the joke I got from it was him just being obnoxious. In yeah. the official <laughs> subtitles, he's calling for general hugs. Oh, uh, see, I didn't even know that. And I still found it really funny. Yeah. <laughs> the difference in humour that I found was it was it was a bit different than Force Awakens, but it was more... The, the specific thing that I gravitated toward, this is appropriate for the UK Rebel uh, broadcast, is the the sensibility that the Imperial officers had in the original trilogy is more of what we got on the First Order ships. We, we had more of that kind of uh, dry, oh God, I hate my job. Uh, kind of humor, um, which was was lacking in The Force Awakens. Everybody was wearing the right clothes, but there there wasn't that sort of thing where they were all doing their jobs, but they were all also resenting it at the same time. Um, you know, the 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 officer on uh, on the ship who after after Kylo Ren throws hugs into the wall uh, because he wants to descend and take on Luke Skywalker one on one. Uh, right away, sir. You know, the, just the, the guy who just shrugs. Yes, yeah, uh, he's right away, sir. I'll do all right, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good deal. All right, sounds good to me. Um, not worth arguing. Not, with worth, it. not worth it. Not worth it, really. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the the aforementioned uh, um, uh, Adrian Edmondson from uh, from the Young Ones and so many other things. Um, just his presence on the bridge felt like felt like dipping back into one of my favorite things about the Imperial dynamic from the original trilogy that I, I wouldn't count against J.J. Abrams so much because there were so many things on his plate to do, but it was, it was a welcome return to the real, uh, the real feel of what meant classic Star Wars to me uh, was that it, it was, it was a funny, uh, silly space adventure in various ways. And we got plenty of that with Finn and Ray and, and various resistance side characters in, in the first movie. Um, but we didn't, we didn't have that as much on the Imperial side, even though Hux was a little bit uh, of a, you know, he, he's a, he's a petulant boy child of a, of a general. Uh, and Kylo Ren is, uh, is a, is a, is a, is a little rage boy from Reddit. <laughs> um, but, but, but we didn't, we didn't have that kind of, of, uh, all right, okay, well, I guess we're going to destroy the galaxy, whatever. All right, uh, when do I get off? Okay, good, good, all right. 
Bye. <laughs> see you. The job is a job. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, like I say, it did feel very much like, you know, sort of regular stuff. I felt in safe hands. I don't know if you guys remember when, um, we did Force Awakens and mm. I said there, there are, I spent like the first 20 minutes of the movie just kind of on the edge of my seat, uh, you know, thinking, oh my God, are they going to screw it up? And then it was the, um, Falcon TIE fighter chase that, which is probably more than 20 minutes actually, but it was that that sealed it for me. One, you know, I, I came out of, by the end of that scene, I was like, okay, we're in good hands. This is, you know, a Star Wars movie in the style I recognize. Uh, and I felt that with this right from probably because it opens on a space battle right from the very first scenes. I immediately, even the, the joke stuff with uh, Poe Dameron and Hux and Hugs, um, I just, I don't know. There was even that scene alone. I was like, this feels like Star Wars. We're in good hands. That possibly comes partly from my trusting Johnson as a filmmaker. And I'll say this because I know Moises, you know, because you do know him, but I, I don't, I've never met the guy, but I will say to me, he's one of a very small group of modern filmmakers who basically get carte blanche from me because their first movies were so good. There's like him, um, Duncan Jones, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who directed Thor Ragnarok. I can't remember his name. Taika Waititi. That's him. Um, and, and actually, in the previous generation, Christopher Nolan was like this for a while as well, where pe- people whose first couple of movies were so good that I am basically prepared to give them carte blanche and see anything they do as long as they don't keep screwing it up. Um, because I thought Brick and Brothers Bloom was so amazing. And Looper, I liked not as much as those, but I did like it. Uh, and so I trusted that he knew what he was doing. And as I say, nothing in the opening scenes of this movie gave me any reason to doubt that so i was immediately relaxed well i mentioned that i, I was completely blind to everything going in and the, one of the few things aside from the two major trailers that i did pay attention to and and something i caught in one of them was i feel like this is a misdirect about how it's it's trying to make us think that ray is going to get turned or something like that because it wants to play up the possibility that anything is possible in this thing and who knows what the hell is going to happen but there was there was something like an interview that ryan did where he said that the movie was influenced by three very specific films and it was a very strange combination of films to catch a thief which i would say of the three more people uh, with us these days have seen um hideo gosha's three outlaw samurai wow <laughs> um and 12 o'clock high starring carrie grant and having seen the movie even if you haven't seen all three of them if you look at the uh the synopsis of of what the plot of those movies are you get a feel for for how what he was going for was yeah we're going to do star wars but uh we're going to we're going to underline the word wars and we're going to do some of the kind of space western stuff that you can do in the genre that you know you have you have that kind of dynamic in a movie like 3 Outlaw Samurai that yeah it's samurai but it also plays uh, though though very much an eastern film it is yeah. it is also a western narrative there oh. is a mm-hmm. western kind of a caper and the majority of this movie is a stagecoach chase <laughs> people, people, said, people said people said Mad Max, Mad Max, but this is a stagecoach chase yeah, a where a couple people hop on a horse. Chase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very slow stagecoach chase in a universe where an X-Wing can jump into the loading bay of a of a of a cruiser and then the cruiser can jump to light speed and everything's fine. 
NBD. NBD. Come yeah. on. It's Star Wars science. It, Relativity, it it's fine. We're not going to question it too much. I did love the two, there were two nods to Battlestar Galactica as well, really. I mean, there's the obvious one, which <laughs> is that, you know, the whole hyperspace tracking chase thing was really reminiscent of uh, the episode 33, of course. But also uh, that the Rebel uh, cruiser seems to have Battlestar Galactica style uh hmm. launch bays for the x-wings that's new to star wars um i mean i loved that shot and you know kylo ren going down there and blowing stuff up but i was like hang on a minute i've never seen that before in star wars we've never really seen the mon calamari launch bay then i i suppose you know we're, we're usually we're used to corellian ships so oh that's really true like, yeah of course because that was yeah. akbar's ship wasn't it yeah. Mm. Or well, I guess it's Leia's Yeah, Leia's let's make ship, sure to not but... be Corellian normative. Well, and that's... Yeah. Okay, so that's the next point I was going to come to, was the other thing that we've never seen in Star Wars before is two women leading a starship, uh, you know, in the form of Leia and then obviously Holdo. So, uh, you know, Ren, naturally got to turn to you and say... Because everybody's holding this up as kind of, even more than The Force Awakens, as a really, really female positive feminist message movie um how did you feel about seeing so many women in you know positions of power in this movie it's funny because i've always felt of star wars as a little bit feminist um even in the even in the originals which were uh you know very prominently not filled with female characters uh but what i really find striking about this film is how normal it feels where they've basically just So what taken... you're saying is it feels really normal and Yeah, it feels normal. It doesn't feel Sorry, like I had anything's I had to been... e- I had to echo one of the things that happens in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but exa- no, but that exactly, right? Where it's just it <sighs> It's not called attention to in the way it's not called attention to just the same way um, that Mad Max Fury Road didn't really call attention to the fact that Furiosa just was Furiosa. You know, it's not like, oh, this is a woman in a position of power. And, you know, oh, people are, you know, talking back to Leia or talk like you've got Poe's narrative, but Poe's narrative is really more about Poe than it is about Holdo, uh, which uh, you can you can interpret it to be a little bit more on either side, depending on what you want to get from the film. But ultimately, what I loved about it is that all of the characters were cast in service of the story. And this is, you know, it's something I'm pretty passionate about because I really hate, I hate the, obviously the, the Reddit crybabies, but I also really hate the, the thing of like, we just have to insert, you know, uh, minority female character, female character, like, because that gives the Reddit crybabies more right. ammunition. Right. Uh, Ren, Ren, it looks like we've exactly. uh, checked boxes 2A through 2E. Uh, <sighs> we're still missing box 2F, and uh, we're going to check that one off here in just, here we go, there yep, we go. Yep. Asian Pretty American much. female. All right, there we go. <laughs> exactly. Let's just check a box to check a box, which this movie does not do. This movie has a, a really surprising amount, not just, uh, in in gender but just in you know just all you get you get really a a, a panoply of craziness uh, in the canto bite scene where you really kind of get a chance to see the galaxy in in full-fledged uh full-fledged uh idealism and and you know the underpinnings thereof uh but it had never at never once at least to me does it feel forced or weird or like this doesn't fit the storyline I know other people on the internet feel differently. Uh, <laughs> they are I wrong. I think that, yes, they are wrong. They really are. <laughs> the, the one thing that, and it also didn't feel forced, but 
was clearly a sort of, you know, box ticking was the sheer diversity of the rebel force as well in this one, even more than the force awakens. Like whenever you got, you know, shots of, uh, wings and pilots and the skimmers and, you know, just rebels in general, the amazing, uh, ethnic gender and gender diversity amongst the human characters obviously i'm talking about was it was phenomenal there was and yet again it was never drawn attention to it was not a thing it's just like well why not why wouldn't we have lots of female pilots lots of non-white pilots as well as plenty of white dudes as well and i really loved that because yeah it wasn't made a big thing of but it was there it's absolutely there including uh james did you used to watch the series teachers on oh. Channel 4. Rings a bell, yes. Uh, one of the actors from that, uh, a guy called Naveen Chowdhury, uh, was one of the skimmer pilots on uh, the salt planet at the end. You see yeah. him in literally two shots. And I was like, wait, and he's like older and he's got a beard. But I was like, wait a second. I mean, <laughs> even more than Aid Edmondson, that was a real easter egg for british views he, he looked familiar and i couldn't place him that that makes total sense there yes. were a lot of people in the just in background <laughs> shots and things where you think you look slightly more famous than you should um <laughs> you know w- did you just happen to be near the lot at some point and i enjoyed seeing brick and loopers noah segan riding on a little tram as poe was getting out of his x-wing and that was the extent of you know brick and the brothers bloom and loopers Noah Segan's contribution to the movie, but he's in it. But he's in it. Almost expect to see Joe Gordon Levitt somewhere in the background. <laughs> he, oh, is. He, is. he is. Oh, he, he is. is. Oh no, yeah. I missed him. I missed him. His his voice. His voice acting this time. I around, told him still... they couldn't park there. Oh, is that yes. him? That was him. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Yeah. Um, I knew. I knew it was somebody because I'm like, this is this is too uh, much of a potential cameo not to be. So I was scouring the credits the first time, and I didn't find it. And the second time, I was like. Of course. I had no but idea. There's also <laughs> apparently uh, two members of British royalty somewhere they got in cut. the film. Well, they got no, cut. There, there, was a, there was a thing that said they got cut, and then there was a, a denial to the oh, really? getting cut. So uh, I don't know <laughs> the if they The last thing he's going to do is shoot a movie in England and cut the two princes out of it. <laughs> yeah, that seems like that'd be a career-limiting move. Yeah, um, American director forever forbidden from entering the United Kingdom. Oh, man. <laughs> but I, one of the things just on diversity that um, got me was initially I – was convinced that uh, Rose and Paige were a couple rather than sisters. Oh. Just from the, the because they had that whole, um, you know, uh, yin-yang, two halves of the medallion yeah, yeah. thing, which seemed to me to say more relationship than than uh, uh, siblings, but it wasn't. Um, and I'm kind of not surprised that Star Wars didn't go there, but for a, a brief moment, I hope they had. Although, let's face it, Leia, Holdo, you know, student, romance. No yeah, you know, although- Anthony, Anthony, you're missing you're missing a very important piece of the slash fic that has been lighting the internet on fire. Um, the two of them are involved, yes, but it is a Poe sandwich with the two of them as bread. Oh, um, that's that's what that's what everybody seems to be very very interested in is is exactly how those planets align. I do think that the only person Poe really has interest in is BB-8 because he was the one person he- that Poe was. Oh, yes. super excited now, he, he, to see. 
in in both movies, he has not responded to a human being the way that he responds to that droid. Yeah. Yeah. That is get, a very special bond. Get you someone who looks at you the way Poe Dameron looks at BB-8. <laughs> On the diversity <laughs> note, the the thing for me that uh, as as somebody who grew up being told that I wasn't right for this part or that part because I wasn't the right type, and they meant uh-huh. that they couldn't tell what ethnicity I am, and they couldn't properly type me for martial arts man or you know sage old wizard or uh, you know Latin lover or whatever. Um, the, the thing, the thing that really, um, I enjoyed schadenfreude, um, uh, uh, level was seeing people, white dudes saying there was nobody in this movie that they could relate to. And I felt so sad for them. Yeah. Right. And you're like, welcome to our world. Yeah. For, for me, it it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it was, it was more, it was more that they were so heavily calibrated to the way that I look has to be cast in the most prominent leading roles and they need to be allowed to do this and this and this. And it was them reckoning with their favorite piece of pop culture, not delivering exactly in the way that they were used to it, of don't uh, used to it doing for the last 40 years. And the fact that rather than just try to think it through, they immediately went to entitlement. Um, that's, that's what I enjoyed uh, out of it because those people, star Wars, Star Wars is never going to connect the dots for for the people who wanted it to always serve exactly them. And in fact, the people who had that expectation, I don't think we're watching the same Star Wars that I was. Um, you know, you can nope. you can argue about the politics all you want and the exact degrees of how progressive, how left wing uh, the stories are, though they were very intently structured that way by George Lucas at the very beginning. Um there, there is, there is absolutely no subtext, no text text in the original films that says this is exactly the way that it has to be forever and ever. And this is the way that everybody has to look and it has to conform to different people's baked in prejudices. People are just going to assume people, that, people yeah. layered that on top of it because that's what they had to play with for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, and that's the irony, isn't it? Is that for the last 40 years, for the last hundred years of cinema, non male white audiences have had to identify with, you know, white dudes forever and ever. Uh, amen. And now suddenly the white dudes are going to hang on a second. This is what it feels like. And anyway, in terms of characters I could relate to, having a, a very grumpy Luke who was having trouble dealing with his emotions and whatever, yeah, I can relate to that totally. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So uh, we mentioned Holdo and I want to, let's let's sort of try and deal with our gripes now so that we can go back to positive stuff Okay, well, uh, later. not enough so, Holdo. Not enough Holdo. That's my gripe. Not enough Holdo. Uh, never enough Holdo. No, my gripe is that Holdo was underdone. And I don't by that I don't mean I wanted to see more of her. I mean I wanted to see the character better built because yes. my big mm. like there's you know there are there are plot contrivances all over the place in this movie and that's fine. You know it's it's Star Wars and if you want something to be incredibly realistic, uh, you know you're in the wrong fandom because i mean you know the logistics check your laser sword and leave thank you the logistics of star wars have never made sense you know and the tactics and strategy have always been a bit dodgy as well um but the big i mean the slow chase thing is kind of an issue because it's like why not just light speed ahead and surround them but you know whatever but my biggest problem was her story with poe and her basically being a terrible leader 
Um, and I get that the story is to show that Poe's a hothead and he, sh- you know, should follow his orders and shouldn't question his superiors and all that. And, sh- you know, him being the hothead actually leads to the resistance almost being destroyed. Um, but she has just been thrust into leadership unexpectedly after their beloved and legendary leader is has basically died and come back to life. You know, they're all in dire straits. Morale is incredibly low and she basically does nothing to lift their spirits or convince them that she has any idea what she's doing beyond her rank. Um, and I just think that's, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that Poe runs off to do something else. Mm, and, well, hang, well, well okay, hang on, hang go. on. And it's mm. even, it's even instructive that when, uh, Finn is running away, Rose says to him, I've already tasered three other people who tried to escape because they all think that we're all going to die and our leaders don't know what they're doing. So that's my main issue is that I was watching the whole time. I was going like, she's just unfit to be leader. There is no reason. Okay, don't tell people the plan because you might be afraid of spies. You, you and, you and Poe Dameron agree on a lot of things. <laughs> don't, don't tell people the plan because you might be afraid of spies, but at least tell people that you have a plan. She literally at no point said, don't worry, everybody. We have a plan. Trust me. I, I can see that. I can see that aspect to it. But as soon as he finds out anything about the plan, which is the fact that transports are being fueled, he immediately goes on a pretty non-secure channel, tells um, oh, sure, yeah. and that's, people about yeah, it, yeah. and that's what gets them all killed. So Right, but that's... Yeah, he, he, he does exactly the loose cannon thing that she is concerned that he will do if he's let in on the plan. Like, to, but that's to me, exacerbated by the fact that she he thinks she's been hiding this from everyone. I, I want to throw it to uh, Ren and, and, and let her say the, but uh, say what she's like champing at the bit to say. But I know, the, the I know. one thing I wanted to throw in is that this ties to one of my one of my one of my gripes with a fundamental gripe that a lot of people have with the movie, which is, well, why would they do that? That's stupid. Well, because people do stupid things sometimes and the movie's all about failure. Um, and and, yeah. and I think I think that, yeah, she does not make the best choices. And, and part of the reason that. As much as I disagree with you, Anthony, I still have the urge to agree with you. And it's because she shows up with her beautiful purple hair and amazing presence and all this other stuff, but she's still not Leia. And give me Leia no, back. No, Why no, is no. she not Leia? Why? No, I, it's, it, it's, for me, it's more expectation of uh, along the same lines of what you're saying is, wait a minute why isn't she telling people what's going on this would this is the solution to the thing that in movies where uh, cell phones didn't exist well if cell phones existed the plot of the movie wouldn't happen why why isn't she just telling everybody just trust me i've got this we're good no that's not it but i go ren i want you go on yeah well i mean it's it's kind of a bridging between both of your viewpoints i think which is to say that yeah the point of the whole movie is failure and holdo is thrust i mean based on Entirely what we know from the movie, right? She is the vice admiral of a different cruiser. So she has never been on this ship before other than perhaps, you know, as a hologram. Uh, she is the only vice admiral or even any, you know, commandment, commanding level position left on the ship. Uh, and she has to command a whole bunch of people that she doesn't know. And like those three things, I think showcase, like once you realize those three things, you say, yeah. Of course, she's making terrible, terrible decisions um, that she thinks are are being in the the correct the correct you know, or it's just kind of like we've got to do something, and I don't want anybody to question my authority, so I'm not going to give them the opportunity. 
But on the flip side, Anthony, I agree with you 100% that while I can make those narrative leaps, I don't think that they're as clear in the film as yeah. they could have right. been. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. The movie almost wants us to think that she's a great leader. And I'm like, no, she's really not. But they, they do call it out and they say, oh, is that Holdo from the battle of something, something. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? Okay. So taking that really quickly. I love the setup of that. And what I would have really loved is maybe as Holo, like as Poe is taking, you know, taking uh, Holdo hostage, she actually says, you know, hey, you know the, that battle? You know, you're going to like, I fucked up there and we somehow managed to walk out of this. Come talk to me after. Like just a, just a little drop of a like, hey. This isn't going to turn out the, the way you think it is. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. You know, yeah. like I just, I, I just agree. need there a was, little more. That was that was an interesting payoff because it was like, oh, because you saw it's written all over his face, and you know, credit to Oscar Isaac for his you know facial acting in the space of like half a second. But you see on his face the obvious kind of like, oh, wait a second, I thought I was going to take charge when mm. she's announced as the leader, and he plays that brilliantly. But then, yeah, so you expect there to be some kind of payoff when he then. Says, says oh no that's like she's a great general oh wow and you think oh great he's got respect for her obviously that's not how it turns out yeah. but then it's never mentioned again and you're like Ugh. yeah well, this, just- this is this is this is a good a, a good uh place to note the like the tie-in material i have the, the no, only, no, uh, the, no, on, no no hold on no hold on no 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 i'm not talking about no i haven't read any of it that's the point there are people there are people who 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 tried to bring stuff in from oh well in this tie-in book about holdo blah 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 and i'm like i did i'm sorry but i don't there shouldn't be required reading to see the movie exactly yeah, um, exactly and 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 what what i wish we had gotten in terms of kind of background texture is that thread of oh from the battle of whatever whatever i just i wanted them to grab that thread and do one more thing with it. Like you don't have to do a rule of three and come back to it twice, but just come back to it once. Don't just, just do something. Yeah. Just, mm. just do, just do something with it to flesh her out a little bit more because my, my struggle with Holdo is I wanted more from Holdo in the way that with force awakens. When I said, I wanted to see more of, of Ray displaying all of this proficiency that she has. So that by the time she is uh, trying to pilot the Falcon off of Jakku, we, we've got, we get to see more of her amazing level of competence that she got put together. And people, people would immediately jump at me going, Oh, how dare you make her explain herself? I'm like, no, 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 no. I love her. I think she's great. I want to know more about this character. I want, I want more focus on this character. I want more of the and character on screen development. Time. Yeah. I want Not more just on screen yeah. time. Tie in yeah, book time. I, yes. Yeah. More, I don't want more tie in book time. I don't want more. Well, if you paid attention to this one car commercial, or, you know, I, like, <laughs> I, I don't like, I don't, I, 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 ju- I want, I want it to all uh, live on the screen and Holdo. I don't feel like there's a gigantic amount that needed to be done, but it was, it was just little, little accents. A little more that, could have been done. Yeah. 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 yeah like without, without robbing her of the payoff, because I do totally. think that there's a really nice segue here that happens wherein like you, you really feel from Poe's viewpoint where you're like this, this woman is incompetent. Like what the hell? Why is she here? What is she doing? I found myself um, questioning kind of, whether she was somehow facilitating them, tracking them through hyperspace. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't really, you, you don't get it. You're on the side of Poe. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, Poe, mutiny. And of course, uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter is part of mutiny. So you're like, yes, I know it's a good thing. Uh, and then when Leia comes in and blasts him, uh, and then you've got this wonderful conversation between Leia and Holdo, that's where you're like, 
Oh, okay. I I I see where I have gone wrong. Yeah. But that's that's punctured somewhat by being like, well, but also she did kind of screw up. It's not just. I yeah. think that yeah. there's very few people in the movie who didn't screw up in some fashion, and I think. That it, is there anybody? I think that's one. Uh, BB-8, BB-8 Yoda? is flawless. <laughs> yeah, but BB-8 did not screw anything up, really. A little clumsy, but didn't screw anything. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, but it was like most of the people have failed in some way. And I think that is the theme of the movie. So, you know, I, I'm... Per- I, <laughs> the failure awakens. Yes, I, I was happy to go with it in 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 the moment, you know, and yeah, I was definitely on the side of, um, Oscar Isaac. And the, the thing was with, uh, uh, Billy Lord's character being, uh, clearly on the side of the rebellion within the rebellion. She, of, there was obviously nothing being said on the bridge that, you know, that, uh, Poe hadn't been party to because, she would have said, well, you know, if you would got, have told him, yeah. she would have told him that if there were, if she had heard anything of a plan, I would have thought. Um, so yeah, I, I, I went with it and I've gone with it each time I've watched it. But yeah, I can see the criticism that a little more communication, uh, would have gone a long way, even if he'd been bumped down or to whatever level he was at and didn't have the necessary security clearance. But it's not even just about Poe. It's about the whole crew. This is what I mean. They even sort of back it up, like I say, with Rose saying, oh, we've had other people try and desert. It's like your crew thinks you have no plan. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, just at least tell them you have a plan. You don't have to tell them what it is. But tell them you have a plan. So that that's the one bit that kind of just rankled me throughout. So And that's uh, that's an element from Twelve O'Clock High that I was kind of expecting the whole time as I was seeing a similar kind of dynamic of a, you know, hard as nails, you know, authoritarian, you know, chain of command type of, of commander telling everybody what's what and everybody doubting them at every turn. There there it was just missing that reassertion i felt that need but at the same time as i've as i've now seen it four times surmounting james as the most <laughs> watchingest uh, person of it on the show i i came i came to a piece with it on the fourth viewing of this is this is a person thrust into the incredibly incredibly intimidating and overwhelming um uh boots of leia with maybe 400 people spread across three different ships and that's all that remains of the resistance and there is only so much that even our greatest protagonists and even the unnamed until now great heroes of the rebellion the resistance um there's only so much that that one human being can handle and everybody you know people are trying to desert sure. People are people are doubting literally everything anybody tells them. Loads of people are are serving with people they've never worked with before. There, one of the things I would have loved to see is three different people trying to man the same station and going, "Well, no, yes. mine, no, wait, I don't know how to do anything else." And this, but this is part of the issue: is that like, you, you, I understand all of that, and yes, you I needed know, to see that. I needed right, to see. We that. don't see her at any point yeah. struggling with. These issues, which to me just seemed, you know, kind of off. But anyway, so yeah, let's move on to good stuff <laughs> because, uh, and this is actually part of it. One of the things I love and have loved uh, about this movie and about the reaction to it is how awesome is it, right? That the, I mean, the the design, the sound, the music, 
because it's John Williams, of course, but, you know, the sound design as well, the design, the look of the movie, everything about this movie is so good and so well done that what is everyone arguing about? We're arguing about the story and the characters. Nobody's griping about design decisions. Nobody's griping about uniforms or about casting or, you know, we're all, all the arguments online about this are about story and characters. And that I think is kind of awesome because this is the first time I can remember that being the case in a Star Wars movie. I I think that the moment that really got uh, sealed it for me was when we had the the replay of the scene on the island as Ray hands uh, Luke the lightsaber and then he chucks it over his shoulder uh, uh, with disdain and, oh, and that was so that was just I was like right okay that is the kind of movie that we are getting yes and, that was the most yeah. that was the uh, the that Luke had turned into this weird old hermit Yoda type that would just do something like that like that 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 sealed it for me that we were in good shape well and everybody was dying to hear what his first words were going to be as well yeah. and then he he it makes the bus wait again still doesn't actually speak <laughs> and then his first words eventually are go away <laughs> yeah i, I like that whole scene of her sort of chasing him around the island and him being like I, I mean, like the the stuff with the green milk from the space walruses. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I got the impression looking at him. Sometimes he doesn't bother with that bottle. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. sometimes was, Daddy Luke gets messy. The lightsaber, oh. tossing the lightsaber over his shoulder was. It wasn't the first. Uh, I counted one before it, but it was the second instance of a sort of plot hook from the Force Awakens just being steamrollered like the first one is the fact that finn's injury and being unconscious basically means nothing like has no no effect no consequences he recovers it's fine uh, and then the very next one is luke tossing the lightsaber over his shoulder and there are a bunch throughout this movie where stuff that was set up in force awakens is just kind of not quite ignored but dealt with in such a summary fashion uh, I mean, Kylo's mask, Kylo's right, right. His helmet, for heaven's sake, just literally destroys it. It's uh, I, did, did they make his voice treatment even worse in this I film? Think they did. Oh, yeah. 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 Intentionally. Yeah. Well, I mean, he went through a battle in that thing. It got got you know, knocked apart a little bit. He didn't no, have no, time was, to. I think know, that play was. I think that was deliberately to emphasize Snoke's annoyance. Like, just take that thing off. <laughs> I, I did like Snoke's reaction it's to not, him. In it's that. not working. <laughs> it's just that you know you're a child in a mask. Just take it off. And yeah, yeah. Just just send it away. Well, it's interesting to me because I see a lot of. I, I've seen a lot of gripes about Luke's introduction, and honestly, Luke's entire character, this entire film, um, and. I literally had a conversation with somebody uh, where it went, God, Luke, you know, Luke is so depressing and it's so annoying. And like, this is not the hero that I followed. And then that person goes on to say, and also the prequels ruined Yoda because it showed him being a badass. And really Yoda is an old, you know, cranky hermit who knows everything. And I'm like, just hypothetically, wouldn't be the same thing for people about Yoda if they grew up with the prequels versus 
growing up with Luke in the original movies and now Luke's in the in the new ones and he's like no the prequels are terrible that would never happen so <laughs> I'm like I'm like hey do you do you see the parallels here between you Luke and Yoda hmm, maybe you know soup, dirt soup and and milking cow I, I feel like they're related maybe just a little bit one of the one of the best crystallizations of, of all this stuff my friend Jacob Hall wrote this slash film piece about how this movie does not care what you think about Star Wars and and it's there 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 would be such a thing as as uh Ryan trying to subvert expectations and just do it in a in a showy manner for the sake of showiness but there's intent behind every one of those throw the lightsaber over the shoulder moments oh sure there's a, yeah there's a very specific reason behind it it's not just oh this would be funny this would just be a good throwaway joke it, it each one of those moves throughout the movie links to something else and and further sends home uh, all the messaging that the movie's going for. Well, and what, going back to what Ren said, uh, one of the things I think that was very interesting about when Yoda turns up as a, you know, a, a remarkably powerful force ghost uh, hmm. is that he and Luke in that scene are almost peers. Like, almost. I mean, he's, you know, Luke clearly still has respect for Yoda there and Yoda still sees him clearly as a young, foolish man, bonk on the head and all that. But nevertheless, they are talking and acting like two weary old men who have seen a lot, been through a lot, and are almost peers now, which obviously is a very, very different dynamic to Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And I thought that was just a really interesting way to show that passage of time and how, yeah, Luke has become essentially Yoda. Yeah, I think there was a there was a kind of now you see what it was like for me kind yeah. of thing to that. <laughs> well, Yoda and Obi-Wan, uh, we we forget oh, yeah. we forget mm-hmm. Obi-Wan so quickly because we just got him in the first movie and then we just had ghost voice Obi-Wan. Um there there is that same kind of progression that if you acknowledge that the prequels exist, you see the same kind of impulsive cocky, oh wow, what a badass, what a cool guy and then at the end he's a He's a creaky old man in a robe who decides he's not going to fight. Uh, and there, there, there are these echoes of the guys who got it right yep. um, with Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Luke at this point. Well, and part of that, and another thing that I love, is that this really does feel... And again, I think this could be, you know, one of the things that some people have a problem with unconsciously. I love that this really feels like it is passing the torch on from the old generation to the new, you know, passing the torch on to new characters, Mm -hmm. which is necessary if Star Wars is going to continue as a thing. You know, if this is a thing that is now going to be a regular continual part of our pop culture uh, with new material being constantly generated, new official material, it has to face these issues. It has to evolve. That's hard to pull off. I mean, you know, what JJ achieved with Force Awakens, the amount that he had to sort of balance and juggle, it's remarkable that that movie is such a good movie uh, and i think it's much the same with this there is still you know that work is not done there is still a lot of work to be done in order to pass the torch down the generations and again i think the balancing act that ryan johnson had to undertake in this movie and does mostly pull off you know we've had a bit of a gripe but make no mistake i think this is a really great movie and that he really succeeded in pulling off a lot of the very difficult things that he had to do in order to move the Star Wars saga forward. Going back to the structure and and the stark diversion from the way that the movies have been structured up till now, 
yes, we can we can argue and and you know get nitpicky about the you know the light speed chase and the stagecoach uh, you know chase and the stars and everything, but at the end of the day. We're still loving and enjoying this movie that that is really structured completely differently than any Star Wars movie that came before it. Exactly. Where the constant expectation was, oh, we're going to be done with this chase. We're oh, no, we're not. We are not going to be done with this chase anytime soon. And I like I th- I think I think on on the structural scale that was a part of it. On the uh, on the side of oh no no you're not going to have your your emperor in a robe in the third movie uh, with a big showdown. We're going to do that now. We're going to do that now and we're going to we're going to throw him and his and his his taffeta robe out the window. It's done. Um, we're we're getting rid of the of the spooky guy in a helmet iconography. He's just going to smash it into an elevator wall and it's gone. Um, y- you have all of these expectations of how this and that and the other, whether it's Luke's first line or how he's going to first interact with Ray or whether he's going to mow down uh, uh, to use Luke's words. Uh, what, I'm going to take a laser sword and take on the entire First Order by myself? What did you think? What did you think was going to happen? Is th- it, it, it is, it, it's, it's subtext and it is at once text. And that, that Ryan completely doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on that throughout is something that, 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 that kind of sureness of footing is something that took all of those pieces that JJ very carefully set up on the board and said, okay, I've got all of these and I'm going to play with them in the way that sets this up so that people find themselves watching a Star Wars movie and going, oh, hell, I don't know what's going to happen next. Yes, I genuinely don't know where this story is going, which is exciting. I was terrified they were going to kill people off that I really wanted to see more of. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I actually thought they might kill Finn off at this point, but I really could have watched those three in the throne room as well, because Snoke was so well done in this compared to so many CGI yeah. characters. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, I, yeah. really, I could have watched Snoke, Rey, and Kylo Ren for a lot longer. <laughs> I have sort of two thoughts on the structure of this film. Um, one is... I find the, oh, this chase is taking forever uh, sect of the internet uh, kind of amusing. Because if you look back at Empire, how long do Leia and Han spend in the Falcon before they get to Cloud City? Like, they leave, look, they leave off of the Falcon in the very beginning. Look, Leia and Han very important taxes to do, young lady. <laughs> they had to do their taxes. They were yeah, very they important. To, is that what that's called? They had to go. Days? They had to go upstairs in the Falcon, lock the door, and do their taxes. It's very important. Only adults yeah. would understand. But yeah, uh, it, it's it is amusing to me because that's like this is again history of Star Wars past just done in a very different way. Um, and then the other thing, which uh, I, I hear a lot of complaints about, oh, this feels you know like a, a jumbled up set of scenes where nothing happens, despite the fact that that is literally Ugh. a quote from the New York Times Empire Review, as well as a quote from people reviewing the Last Jedi. Uh, I find that this movie actually holds together really, really well if you're familiar with any of the other non-film uh, video properties that Lucasfilm has been doing over the last five years. Not from a plot perspective, but just from a structural perspective. If you, The second time I was watching this especially, I'm like, as I'm watching Canto Bite, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a, this is a little silly in a traditional film, 
But then I'm thinking about all of the Star Wars Rebels that I have watched over the last few years and thinking, if this was a Star Wars Rebels episode and, you know, with BB-8 and the Walker yeah. and everything else, I'm like, I would be so excited and I'd be like, this Rebels episode is awesome and I love this and this is so funny. Uh, and then I'm like, why Why does it matter if it's Rebels or if it's Star Wars, uh, if it's a Star Wars movie, because it's all Star Wars. Mm-hmm. At that point, I, I just realized i'm like you know what this movie is structured like six or seven rebels episodes it's uh it's designed from uh, arguably a director who has spent some time in in tv world for for the last few years as well and i'm okay with that i'm kind of okay with my movies being somewhat of a syndicated movement of a story especially if we're acknowledging they have episode the numbers section. yeah they have episode yes, numbers exactly, <laughs> exactly. they're adventure this serials based- i was expecting yeah. this to be <laughs> a downer of a movie and like things not to go well because it is the middle and you know yeah. if you just had it everything was brilliant then there wouldn't be any sort of stakes going into the next film yeah and there were very overt nods to empire in this i mean there were overt nods to oh, many yeah. movies but there were a lot of overt nods to empire in this movie without being slavish which i think is again a very important thing it, it wasn't as bad as um force awakens which i felt some of the references in that were way too forced really blatant yeah yeah yeah, i I would agree this this movie like it plays like like an arc of a serial that is escape from the force awakens the aftermath of the force awakens and it's something that that does something differently than empire did where the original star wars ends neatly there are medals chewie doesn't get a medal blah 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 Empire Strikes Back starts and a bunch of crap has happened and we don't see any of the insanity that I I assume would result from a large rebel fleet blowing up a moon sized space station. And I feel like seizing on the opportunity to look at the aftermath of a massive um a massive victory, but how big of a victory was yeah, it? To what actually was the show cost that, of that yeah. victory to actually show that for me is what is what really made it so engaging. Like like Ren was saying, where you you have that kind of fun adventure serial feel that you've got from Rebels, which I'm way behind on, but I'm so glad that I started watching because it's more Star Wars and it's totally canonical and they are 100% interleaving little little threads of stuff throughout all of the mythos and all the canon. And that's great. But the the thing about the feel is that it's like they have really taken the best bits off of the buffet and and gone, you know what? This can be Star Wars now. And in this form, there's a little bit more of this indulgent sugary stuff. And in this form, there's a bit more of the meaty stuff and the vegetable stuff. And it's totally fine. And it, it Star Wars can have different tones, different feels. There are different different lenses to to look at the splinter in the mind's eye of this universe. Well, that's what we were hoping for with Rogue One, which well, or what I was hoping for anyway, which I didn't quite get. And I was I actually wish we'd had more of it in that. But you know, but I agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I'm literally only just halfway through season two of Rebels, so I'm way behind everyone. But I am enjoying it because it feels like Star Wars. Rebels increases with quality each season, and yes. uh, <laughs> it is getting. Uh, the 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 cam is getting a bit cameo tastic now in the you know <laughs> the, 
every other few episodes somebody will turn up um but but you're saying that it still has you in its thrall 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 <laughs> sorry thrall. doesn't rebels literally lead up to rogue one I, like, yeah, yeah i mean that seems to be in where theory they, the last episode of rebels is rogue that one. seems to be and where the they're going in theory um but 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 just the 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 quality is really there and it's I mean, it still felt Star Warsy at the beginning, but it, it's like I even think, more Star Warsy. Yes, <laughs> it's its own thing now, which is exciting, and it and it introduces. What I appreciate is that Rebels has kind of cushioned me f- to the idea of thinking about the Force in different ways, mm-hmm. um, and kind of expanding it in a way, expanding it where it has an obvious genesis from the original Star Wars films, uh, but not expanding it to the extent that, say, uh, the original EU did <laughs> with all kinds of insanity. Uh, where it just, it kind of, it gives a, it gives color to a black and white photograph yeah. um, in a really nice way, in like a Polaroid slowly fading into view sort of way. So that when you start to, when we get all of the intricate to bring this back to Last Jedi, we get sort of um, more analysis of the stuff going on with the Force and things that are happening with Yoda and the tree and everything else, uh, it feels very natural to me to accept this and be like, yeah, yeah, the the first Jedi totally have random Force-sensitive trees that live on islands. I believe this because Rebels has given me the, like, okay, maybe the Force isn't just about, you know, Jedi's swinging laser swords. And, lift it, okay. and lifting rocks, yeah. yeah. One, lifting one rocks. of the things I loved in this was the reiteration of the philosophy behind the Force from the first movie, from A New Hope, when yeah. you know when she's sitting on the rock and Luke starts to teach her, it's not a power you have. That's not what the Force. Because over the years, it has felt like that's become it's big, almost become like magic powers that Jedi's control. And so I really appreciate that appreciated that reiteration of the philosophy. I love that it's that order of it. It, it. Instead of leading with the way that Obi-Wan describes it, this is what the Force is. It starts with, this is what the Force is not. It is not all of these assumptions. The Force is many, many things. Look at it from the, like, looking down at the galaxy from above. But that's just because making a movie in 2017, we live in a world yeah. where literally thousands of people uh, list their religion on official census forms as Jedi. So, like James, like James. <laughs> yeah, you know, you kind of. I think that's. I think you can safely assume that most people have heard of the. You know, they're familiar with the concept of the Force, so it makes sense. I and I agree with you. I just think it, it makes a lot of sense to go in and say, no, 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 you have misunderstood. This is actually what it is, and it is much more mysterious and all pervasive than you realize. One of the things that I I particularly liked in this was we had the sort of Rashomon style telling of yes. the the scene between uh Luke and Kylo. And we saw it three times, yes. three different versions, clearly all with you know from the person's perspective whether they're trying to sort of gloss over some of the details or you know when kylo's in kylo's version luke looks sort of fearsome and stuff and i i I liked that sort of coming back to that three times and seeing that stuff um just the it it was yeah obviously Rashomon was what came to mind but just well it, it was also good because uh, it was underlined later when uh, Hux finds Kylo Ren in the throne room and says what happened and Kylo immediately lies 
doesn't yeah. even hesitate, just immediately lies <laughs> and says, oh, yeah, uh, Ray killed Snoke. The other part of that was them when they touched and they got their vision and they both saw exactly what they wanted to see out of Yes, it. they saw the same thing. But they they both saw them yes. seeing the other at having their back for whatever happened. And I loved that whole scene. The moment that Ray said, uh, you know, you don't, I, I saw you and you don't bow down before Snoke. You don't submit to him. And the moment she said that, I thought, no, he's going to kill him instead, isn't he? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the only way that that can be true without him turning to the light. <laughs> I did the same thing. And as we were leading up to it, I was going, he's going to kill him. He's going to kill him. He's going to Oh, he really is. Oh, he, oh, and then he turns the hand and I go, oh, I was so right. And I'm so glad I was right. Oh, it feels so good to be right for once. And then they fight back to back and it's beautiful. Yeah, that really was my was. That favorite was awesome, scene yeah. of the film. Uh, and that scene. Good that night, scene. duel of the fates, my sweet prince. Good night. Oh no! Good night. Seriously though, and I'm sad that there isn't really a, a striking John Williams cue for that because I, I feel like it could have been a great one. But uh, what I really appreciate from that is that in some way it was the ultimate wish fulfillment of everything I had ever wanted for in the EU, which is multiple force users playing together, battling. <laughs> one of them is the dark one of them and is light. Leia's kid. One of yeah, one dark, exactly. one light working yeah. together, balance of the force. Uh, I, I actually I loved that scene, but this movie was a bit of a gave me a bit of a realization, bit of a revelation, and that is that. And I should have known this after Force Awakens, especially after what I said earlier. That clearly Falcon versus Tie Fighters that is my kryptonite because <laughs> when that happened at the end, like on the Salt Planet, the, the minute that started, the minute I even saw the shadow of the Falcon on the planet, just ear-to-ear grin. And I was grinning throughout that entire scene. And at the end of it, I literally thought to myself in the cinema, oh, oh, okay, that's clearly my thing. (laughs) (laughs) They They hate hate that that ship! ship. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, when I say that's my favourite scene, I'll then, we'll come to the bit like where Holdo does the hyperspace thing. I'll go, no, no, that was my favourite scene. That was pretty awesome, yeah. yeah. That's a different, that's a a favourite visual. Yeah. It's such a striking part It's the visual and then the silence and then the the full-on you know bass speaker rattling boom that happens Mm. afterwards Uh, people people call out that for the silence cue but i I think there there are more there's more there are like three specific silence cues in the movie that's the one that really blows people away the most that you know everybody has a story of what somebody cried out or said or something when everything is completely (laughs) silent in the theater when we see something that we've never seen visually all of the four skype scenes are uh yeah they're all force time yeah Yeah, force Force time time. very good time um but then the the like the 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 um the old gunfighter standoff at the very end on crate where it plays with silence again yes just it i i love that for once yes we've got some amazing sound cues in this star wars movie but we have some of maybe the most honestly yeah it is the most stunning moments of very intentional silence actually i just thought of a fourth one as well at the start in the bombing run when yes. uh yeah. when rose's when sister gets yeah uh which also incidentally to those people out there saying oh but how can bombers fall through space there's no gravity no but there is gravity inside the ship isn't there that's the whole yeah. point of yeah. that scene with the thing falling off the ladder for heaven's sake so yeah. you know they mm-hmm. have gravity they fall they go out of the ship they're still moving that's how a vacuum works also the bombs are magnetic uh, that <laughs> did occur to me as well but- yeah that- <laughs> <laughs> i'm like there are multiple things here <laughs> can we talk yeah. a little about 
the performances because uh, all of the performances, with the possible exception in my case of Laura Dern, who, as I say, I don't think just quite did it for me. But that aside, all of the performances in this are just amazing. And again, I think it's quite remarkable that we're mostly arguing about plot and story and character and not about you know, somebody overacting or underacting or not feeling right for their role or whatever. Um, And this may be controversial. I may get a bit of email, but I want to say, and like I say, everybody's great, but how good is Adam Driver? I was, that was the list. That was Mm. top of my list. So good. Like Mm -hmm. I, and this is the bit that'll get me email. I would compare him as Kylo Ren to Harrison Ford as Han Solo. I think he is that good and that important. He absolutely embodies that character to the point where not only can I now not imagine anybody else playing that role, but I don't think anybody else would play that role as well. I think he is actually, again, possibly subconsciously, a large part of the success of these movies because that character is so complex and it's all it's all happening in his face it's all in his face i utterly 100% believe him uh he's just he's amazing he's astounding to watch he lives inside of the skin of that petulant rage boy and I, 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 we did so many panels for Force Awakens. I don't remember if I said it on that or if I said it on uh, a show of mine or something like that. But the thing, the thing that really got to me was that um, people just kind of accepted the fact that Han and Leia had a Columbine killer, like they had a school yeah. <laughs> shooter type um, psychopathic monster, and I, I, I found that so incredibly mind-blowing that they that they and and i feel like people they they've bought the toys and they bought the masks and uh fathers have very um poorly chosen to dress their small <laughs> uh boy children as kylo ren um i i saw oh the boy, kylo was... ren father's day cards which were particularly oh, good yeah. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> like th- there is there is so much weight to that role that that i think before this movie People, I, th- I think there was a certain amount that people uh, of 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 meaning that people assigned to it after Force Awakens, but this one really, wherever they go with it in Episode Nine, I'm with you, Anthony. Like he inhabits this part so well, and and is this truly archetypical gaslighting pickup artist? Yeah, he's just he's great. Ren, go yeah, on. no, it's uh, what I what I find so remarkable about his character as much as, it, you know, you love to hate him in a certain respect is at the same time how relatable he is in this film, despite being somebody who has murdered one of arguably like one of our favorite characters in Star Wars. He's murdered a whole bunch of other people. Uh, he probably, yeah, he probably has slaughtered children. Uh, we don't know that a hundred percent for sure, but we do see Luke wake up with a bunch of dead child bodies. So presumably something happened there. Uh, you know, he is on the surface, an irredeemable monster. Uh, and he even acknowledges that in the film, he's like, you, you call me a monster. I am one. Um, but you also see he's he's done such an amazing job of just processing what it means and where like what I find really interesting and maybe we will see more of this in nine and maybe we will not. Um, but the the potential narrative that this sets up is Kylo essentially blaming his father figures for everything. 
He blamed Han for not being there for him. He blames Luke for abandoning him when he needed him most um, and arguably trying to murder him uh, and blames Snoke for, you know, diminishing him and and basically making fun of him again when he is weak and and struggling it's like oh you know what i can see that you're just the little boy in a mask so what am i going to do i'm going to show off my force powers and i'm going to make you think you have a connection with this random girl that you <laughs> you know don't maybe like kind of i don't know um it, it's just it's it's spectacular to see him basically Admit that, like, every single one of his father figures is potentially the reason why he goes down this path. On that exact point, on that on that monster line, the thing on my first viewing, this was one of the things thematically that just leapt to the front of my mind. And I missed the next few lines because I just got wrapped up thinking about how many times over how many years was Ben Solo told that he's a monster or that he's uncontrollable or that his his anger cannot be contained or that he you know he he had better watch himself and he was blamed for his own faults and and how many crucial points did that come for him where where he had enough cracks in the armor that when snoke came around to him he was pretty much ready to accept yeah i'm a monster and um and people don't want to understand me and that's not to excuse him. That's not to absolve him. I think one of the things is his turn to the dark side in over these films is far more believable than anything Anakin did. Yes. Oh so, yes. you know, just in comparison to that. Well, you know what? It, what is interesting, um, and I keep on going back, there's a, a wonderful YouTube series called Movies with Mikey that did a, an analysis of Force Awakens. Um, and something that he brought up in, in his Force Awakens analysis is how, you know, what's special about The Force Awakens versus something like the prequels is that The Force Awakens is essentially showing that the reason why the Force has to awaken, the reason why that it's kind of dormant is that there's a lack of love and, and everything that's going on in the in the universe. Whereas one of the sort of the sins that the prequels made was basically saying, oh, love makes you turn to the dark side. Um, and you see that you see its opposite in this movie where it's no it's kylo's kylo's hatred and resentment that's where you see this path building but his love his love is the thing that's holding him on i mean you see that that split second hesitation when he's you know about to fire on his mother yep. you know and I, he doesn't. it breaks my heart i yeah. know he can kill oh, daddy yeah. but he cannot kill mommy the fact that he, he doesn't do it kill yeah mommy. just you know setting up that one of the things i loved about the movie as a whole uh, and this ties into the whole everybody failing thing is that it's not black and white it's like previously star wars has always been very black and white good bad uh, rebels empire you know and that's that's what appealed about a lot of those original movies but we live in a very different world now and to see it acknowledge that with all these shades of gray especially between ren and ray and you totally believe that he might turn to the light or that she might turn to the dark and you'd kind of be okay with it because they've earned it from a, you know, a storytelling perspective. I like their conversations when, you know, the like initial, yeah. the initial sort of, uh, all right, 
this is a bit weird. We've got this connection. And then eventually they're just kind of sitting down and talking about stuff. They're having AIM conversations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're having, yeah, they're having emo IM conversations. He, he effectively calls her and she's like, I'm busy. Can we do this later? And well, he was like, oh, this isn't a good time for me either, really. It's like, oh, oh, oh. And then he's sure. And then I've forgotten to put my shirt on. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to. Oops. Am I covered yeah. in oil? Kylo uh, Abs, man. What's going on there? Oh my God. Ben, Ben Swolo is an excellent <laughs> series that's going around. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, delightful. So let's talk about Ray, uh, because obviously she is, you know, ostensibly the main character of these new movies. Uh, she does get certainly more screen time than Finn or Poe in this one. Um, and once again, Daisy Ridley is just great. I mean, it kind of helps with her that she was almost unknown before she took on the role in Force Awakens. But nevertheless, you know, again, I just completely believe in her and her character. And she doesn't ironically grow, I think, as much in this movie as somebody like Poe, because what she, she goes through her ups and downs, but she does eventually ultimately come to realise, oh, okay, I'm really strong in the Force and I need to use that for good. Um, but the way she plays it, and yet yeah, all of her interactions, both with Kylo Ren and with Luke on the island, are just brilliant. And again, sort of tour de force for a young actress. That's, you know, just a real tour de force of facial acting and reacting and really inhabiting the role. It's patience. It's such patience, the way that she plays it. Um, and it's really interesting that's, to that's me That's Ray's also, whole story before she leaves Jakku, is all patience. Yeah, yeah. It's patience, exactly. And that's what I think is really interesting about her as a character, especially when you contrast, you know, Luke's journey, um, and even, you know, if you want to reach into the prequels, into Anakin's journey, um, Ray is a character who found the Force very late, and she is somebody who is who is patient, who is dedicated, who has essentially spent, you know, over a decade as a little bit more than an indentured slave, um, basically rescuing these parts and, you know, and and yet she still has a brightness to her, right? She still has this resilience and this shine. And you see her move into this new journey where she's learning the force and she's, it's unlike, you know, Luke, Luke was not a patient person. No. Luke is always looking, Luke is looking, you know, always looking to the future, are you? Never focused on what's right in front of you. Ray is very focused on, you know, her day to day and how things work. And it's, it's interesting also to see her watch Luke in his normal daily routine when we think about like the way what we were introduced to her was in her daily routine on Jakku. Uh, she she has all of those pieces, all of the pieces that Yoda had to learn, like teach Luke about the patience and the you know and and feeling the force and being calm with the force. Ray's issue is that she just doesn't know the force. Like she just doesn't. She literally does not understand that this that this feeling going through her is is not a you know not a hypothetical thing, but a, a tool and a. And a, a a being that grows beyond, you know, just just the Jedi. And so for her to find like the truth out of the mythos, I think that's her journey, right? And that's what makes it really exciting. Well, she she has this effortless intuition and and when she's when she's given the text, as it were, from the professor, she's like, Oh, okay. Oh, now I get she's it. Hermione. Okay. So that means this and yeah, she's yeah, Hermione with without any of the oh look she's a wet blanket, you know. And this is the other big contrast between her and and Luke, which is so again going back to that thing on the rock, that scene on the rock is so well illustrated. She is willing 
to learn. Like, think about when Luke was being trained by Yoda and being, frankly, a bit whiny, let's say it. Uh, There's not enough time. Right, right. And just kind of, you know, not wanting to admit that he was wrong and all this stuff. And what Ray, what does Ray do? Okay, she gets fooled by the, like, you know, holds out a hand and he tickles her with the bleed cross, <laughs> which is a brilliant, funny scene. But what's the, what does it. she do? She happily goes, oh, oh, you meant that. Oh, okay, well, let's do it again then. She's eager to learn. She doesn't try and double down. She, like, assuages her ego and just says, yeah, okay, I was wrong. Now let's do it again and I'll get it right this time. Am I right in thinking that she only got two out of her three lessons? Yes, yes. So uh-huh. I, I'm expecting yes, next film yes, she she's did. going to get her third lesson. I mean, from Force hmm, I wonder Luke. what this reminds me of. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, didn't complete her training. Another amazing thing to me that, that isn't spelled out as much as the numbering of the lessons is that she does not go full on pure light side and to, to touch back on like we, we keep getting so dangerously close to acknowledging that the prequels are kind of important in some way to momentarily get the back of our boy, Georgie Lucas. Um, one of the clumsier lines of dialogue in Revenge of the Sith, um, where, where uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, Obi-Wan tells Anakin that only Sith steal in absolutes, which is an absolutist turn of phrase in and of itself. I felt showed that he was growing past the notion of light and dark absolutism, black and white, and the shades of gray stuff being a big part of where the narrative needed to go. And I don't see Ray just going light. Like she, she, she put some, put some stank on some of those slashes in that throne room. (laughs) Like she does not hold back. Like there are, there are light side parries and there are defensive moves and there are kills that are not as violent as she could be with them. But there are other moments where she just lets loose and the force is a little bit unleashed. Even when she's fighting Luke uh, in that sort of brief staff battle, she's Uh going full on and then she just goes for that lightsaber. And, you know, I didn't think she was going to kill him. And there's that curiosity again when she goes, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. when she, again, when she's on the rock and she imagines the dark place and immediately just dives in there. And yeah. Luke's yeah, she's like, not, she's not scared of it. You she didn't just accepts even it. try to resist. Yeah. <laughs> no, because she's spent her entire life surrounded by darkness. So to her, it's just another faction of, a faction of life is just, yeah, the dark place is there. Let's see what it has. And not, oh, it's a dangerous place that I have to be aware aware of let it lest it you know suck me in completely it's just oh it's a blowhole yeah hmm, and I again wonder what's down i there. feel like that is a really modern way to approach this movie and these themes and that's why i think it does such a good job of doing that passing the torch that we talked about and really you know remaking star wars for a modern world and for a modern generation and as we see so often in uh you know fandoms uh older fandoms where people our age first got into them as kids you know you wonder how much of the negative reaction to this is people who just don't like that it's not the same as when they were 10 or 15 years old watching the original movies but i think it Mm -hmm. is the same in some ways it's just that the characters that are having the the hero's journey don't look like them well no it's it's more more than that yeah it's much more nuanced there's many more shades of gray as we've said yeah you know than just the black and white good and evil uh yeah no there's that and i mean having 
like played the games like the Knights of the Old Republic's games and things like that. They all had this kind of, you know, well, it's, you know, th- there are these shades of grey. But this is the first time that we've really seen them explored in a movie, I yes. think. Yes, yeah. Uh, the prequels tried to do that. That's the irony, is that they really yeah. tried to do that in prequels and just kind of failed. <laughs> and it was it was all about arrogance on both sides and the fact that there even were sides. And it's something that looking at it through the lens of these two new trilogy movies that we've got, I I I like structurally philosophically what the prequels were trying to say more than I actually enjoyed them in the watching of them. <laughs> yeah, the actual the actual movies may have been terrible, but their principles were not out of like not quite the the wrong direction. And this is also why I think that what Dave Filoni has been doing and the Lucasfilm story group in Rebels and in Clone Wars before it are actually the more interesting prequel and it's not even a trilogy, right? The prequel uh, just settings uh, and why I, I like them more than the the books as set pieces, just because I think that it's a it's a very similar way to the main trilogy films, but it really does inform where this new trilogy is going. Like everything that Dave Filoni has done in the last, what, decade has informed where The Force Awakens and Last Jedi are right here. And the story group of- the story group overseeing the comics too that are now fully oh, yeah. canonized. Like mm. I never thought I'd find myself enjoying an Obi-Wan and Anakin comic miniseries. And it <laughs> it for me told their story so much more effectively and vividly than the prequels did, where um I the the writer had to go to Marvel and Disney and Lucasfilm and go, Hey, am I allowed to have Anakin Skywalker in between episodes two and three wanting to leave the Jedi Order? Or, or or I can't remember. No, no, it's 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 between one and two. It's between episode one and episode two. Mm-hmm. And, and he had to get like approval from on high and kind of sketch out why he was doing it that way and why that was at the crux of 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 even doing a comic miniseries of those two characters in the first place, not just for the sake to have done one. But but I, I love those extra bits of texture that are out there for the people that are reading them. But at the same time, I love that I don't I, I, I have so actively forgotten so much of the, the tie in uh, comics material that I've read. And it, it doesn't matter that I've pretty much forgotten it when I'm in movie mode or I'm in rebels mm-hmm. mode and mm. I can just enjoy it. Yeah. All right. So so let's bring this back to Last Jedi and we're getting close to we need to wrap this up shortly. So let's uh, go round one la- that we ha- one last thing that we haven't talked about yet that you loved about this film. And James, let's start with you. Oh, OK. Um, so the end scene the the kid with the well first with the action playing with the action figures and then Uh. and then doing the whole force uh pool of of the (laughs) of the broom and that kind of thing and and just the setting it up i i it was verging on cheesy but i think they earned it uh it it made the the canto bite scenes like not that they weren't pointless but that you know the fact that we had seen this character before and he'd had the interaction with the rebels and he'd got his little rebel ring which i would quite like one um i i i liked all that and the the thing that this is just my headcanon that when uh luke fades away uh you know uh it's a bit like in Buffy when all the potential slayers get their powers. 
you know, his his sort of force oh, the, power it disperses has around, been dispersed. Yeah, are, yeah. are you Highlandering Luke Skywalker? <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt a bit like that. That oh well, now maybe uh, some people have got a little bit of that. What I loved about it was that it kind of it reinforces this idea that anybody can be strong in the force and does another because they do several things in this movie to reinforce this idea that. It's not all about your bloodline. It's not all about lineage. The only thing I would say about that is I'd like to have seen a few more people, you know, not just like the one white kid who got his Uh, force powers, taking it right back to the beginning. I'd have liked to have seen, you know, three or four people just... I, I do guess, love I all guess. the I love all the angry nerds online who are like, well, but we don't know that Ray's definitely a nobody. She could still be Luke's daughter. <laughs> uh, I really She's like, hope they don't recognize. And I'm that. like, so, oh, well, I really do not want that. I want I want that I want that less than oh so many things. Well, hang on in case in case in case that happens to be somebody's moment. So <laughs> let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Ren, I do want to talk about what James brought up a little bit, just because I think. Uh, there has, again, there's been a lot about, oh, Canto Bite is kind of useless to the story. It's just a random maneuvering and they could have totally done this in a quicker way. They absolutely could have for the immediate story in front of them, you know, finding the code breaker or whatever. Um, but as it pertains to the larger Star Wars narrative at whole, I mean, what we find out at the very end um, when they've landed on Crate and they've sent out this distress beacon is that the galaxy has ef- effectively given up hope yep. that the resistance, that the galactic order, that all of these people are ever going to come back. They're, they're just like, it's been too much war. There's been too much nonsense. And hell, the First Order blew up an entire system of planets. Even if you tell me, oh, yeah, that that planet killer has been destroyed at this point, I don't believe you anymore. Like it's a it's you get fed enough fake news. And after a while, you just you start to lose hope. And what I really, really love about the Canto Bite scene is that we have a direct connection between two resistance operatives and young children. So at the very end of the scene, when we see these, you know, these orphans who are enslaved telling these stories about Luke Skywalker, they're not just half-heartedly like, oh, this is a legend and, you know, this is fun. They're into it because they're like, we met these, you know, we met part of these people. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And this was stuff that had only just happened, you know. Yeah. So there was at least some network of these stories going around it, that, absolutely it was the one thing that bothered me about the Cantobite stuff is that they basically they freed the horses but they didn't free any of the slave kids and coming back to it you see why they didn't so that they would be in the place that we could see them at the end of the film well, there's i mean there's there's multi-layered purpose for Cantobite existing where yeah there's the go go and get the macguffin thing there is the um underlying some of the the kind of uh, political and philosophical stuff that the movies are tackling now, which is, okay, so both sides are using these super weapons. Who's making them and who's making money off of that? And yeah, who's, who's profiting? Yeah, Who's profiting off of this enormous conflict, which is almost this really crazy inward looking uh, analysis uh, rhetorically of, of what a mega franchise is in the first place, which to me is maybe my, my just very subjective, um, uh, personal, uh, uh, reading of it, but the, it, it opens up all of those doors and, and opens up a, a, a much broader philosophy than are you good? Are you bad? And it allows, like James was saying, you've got these two resistance operatives interacting with kids 
and actually, I think Rand said that. I'm I'm getting mixed up because but I, I, again, uh, yeah, and, yeah. Well, and it's all the shade. It's all the shades it's, of a gray it, again. It's that yeah. it's that you are you are you are reestablishing what the rebellion is, who the good guys are, why they're the good guys. They're not the good guys just because they are the good guys and they have a fancy ring. Uh, you are you are emphasizing those uh, among Luke's many beautifully delivered lines by Mark Hamill. The rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi that that it, it underlines all of that. And and people who had issues with it being prequely rubbery CG, you know, oh, it's a race just like pod racing. Oh, it's just like this. that are like ticking boxes going, oh, it's just like this. It's just like this as if they're um, marking off how they're going to make fun of it on Wikipedia later. Totally missing the point. Totally missing the point of how of how they layered multiple different things that they needed to accomplish in the movie in one set piece. I will say when there was a line, I can't remember if it was Finn or Rose said it, and it was like, Do you hear what I hear? And there was a sort of boom outside, and my heart sank, and I thought it was pod racers. <laughs> Just for like a fraction of a second, but it wasn't. So it was See, fine. and I'm so used to Star Wars being all about war that I thought they were Imperial Walkers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to say something really controversial yeah. before I'll get to my thing in a second. Okay. Really controversial. Pod racers are in some ways the best parts of the prequels because they led they led to the Star Wars pod racing game in 1999, which was the best. And it, it was really good. It was really best. good. It holds up. It totally holds up. All right. Yeah, it, so, it's, it's great. So, so anyway. Ren, what, what's, your, what's your bit? Oh, God. Well, my bit is that it's really hard to pick a bit. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, because yeah. <laughs> this, I feel like we just haven't, there's so much of this movie that we haven't talked about where it's like, I know, Leia we could talk about this for of, 10 hours. Yeah, I know. Leia <laughs> and DJ and everything else. Yeah. And, and the relationship that Fizz ha- Finn has between Phasma and Finn versus Rose. So it's like, keep in mind, dear listeners, that we are all thinking about this and most likely we will still have many things to say. I, I would really love to do a retrospective on this movie. But my my thing coming down to it is I love that this is the first Star Wars movie, maybe ever, but certainly in a long time, that just makes me want to think constantly yes. about Star Wars. Like, And not just the, the surface layer level of who are Rey's parents, but really I'm like, what is the meaning of the Force? How does this all work? How is the Resistance going to survive? Man, if Luke becomes a Force ghost, and we've just heard that Yoda can pull lightning bolts down from the sky, what badass stuff is he <laughs> going to do in Episode 9? Like, there's, I don't know, I, I love the potential that, that Episode 9 fills out. Um, but for real, I know I've like done all these fake bits. For real, I it's think like an episode my favorite of top thing. Four. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, uh, I think my favorite thing is the droids, uh, which is R two D two gets to speak in this movie and not just be a a, a Deus Ex Machina and, and gets the guilt Luke, which was very yeah. good. Oh, that that oh, is that the, bit with the I hologram have, man that yeah. got me. That got me in the feels. Oh, yeah, I've, I, you know what? I know people are crying through various points of this movie. Uh, the two times that I have seen this, I outright bawled during that. When you see the hologram of young Leia and you just see Luke's stricken face of like, yep, I abandoned my sister. I did that. That is that is who I am now. It just, it stabs you in the heart and wrenches it. And then BB-8, 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 BB-8. I'm so sad that his number actually wasn't BB-8. Yeah. It really should have oh, was it not? Um, oh, it should have been. It's, yeah, it's BB-90. Yeah. No. Yeah, just- <laughs> but they called him BB Hate on the set. 
Did they? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. BB-8. <laughs> uh, BB-8. All right. So again, this is maybe I've watched so much Rebels that I, I've kind of become inured to ridiculous things happening from droids. Because I remember when R2 started doing weird stuff in the prequels, people are like rolling their eyes and they're like, that's not R2-D2. And of course, I see Rebels and I'm like, Chopper can... Could do, do all anything, kinds of crazy yeah. stuff, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. And and honestly, BB-8's the same thing. BB-8 wants to stop a, a an electrical leak with his head. Fine. BB-8 wants to nunchuck people uh, to to rescue his friends. Shoot them with his yes. coin gun and then shoot, blow the shoot end them with of a the coin gun. The I am on yeah. board. Yeah, you want to cut. You want to cut to BB-8 <laughs> after he's tied up a bunch of guards, not showing how any of it happened. I'm there. I am here for it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. BB-8 controlling an ATST by plug by basically ripping off its front and plugging into directly into its <laughs> control circuit. This is completely unreasonable, and yet I am here for it. <laughs> I am so here for On it. On Canto Bite, they could have cut to BB-8 seated at a gambling table wearing a top hat, a monocle, and a cigarette holder, and I would have been fine. I would have been totally fine with it. Just would have totally gone with it. The, the alien that was feeding coins into him was uh, voiced by Mark Hamill, apparently. Was it? Oh, okay. Excellent, excellent. All right, so Moises, what's your what's your bit that we haven't discussed yet? Well, to to really uh, we we we've touched on it a little bit, uh but to really, uh, you know, bring things up with a with a positive warm embrace, death. Death. That's what I want to talk about is death, because in this movie, death really means something and not just in one direction uh, where one person dies and therefore it means something. Somebody doesn't die and it means something. You think someone dies and they don't. And it means something um, where we 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 saw we saw what happened to Leia and we all gasped and people who. People who would think that they would alter the movie to make that her end or something. I know that there are people out there that that probably thought, oh, well, you know, because she actually died, they're they're killing her in the movie. No, they didn't touch any of it. They didn't touch any of it. And that that Princess Leia was so powerful that she uh, that she was. No, she was not going to go out that way. She was going to have this um, amazing, crazy, deeply felt death. But no, she. No, no, she's not done yet. Um, the, that that just grabbed me deeply in my feels. Um, each time I've seen the movie, Paige Tico, uh, Rose's sister, at the beginning, doing what she's got to do, destroys me every single time. And yep, I fully I fully accept that people exist who think that Rose is superfluous and doesn't matter. But Rose is the beating heart and soul of the movie to me. And she's she us. is, she is us and she is more resolute. And she, she is the, the, the confident, good hearted philosophical, philosophical statement of what the good guys are in star Wars going forward. And that is, that is absolutely conflagrated in her, uh, when her sister dies, uh, sacrificing herself for the greater good for all of these people. That is what makes her even more resolute, even though she's just fixing pipes and feels like she has a relatively insignificant job. She is therefore, she is the most 110% pipe fitter in the entire resistance. And, and like for, for me from that, from that initial moment through all of the other deaths that we see, uh, tally the a wing, uh, pilot, who, oh man, Tally is great. I wish we had seen more of Tally. And that made me feel it even more because I was like, she is so cool. R. This R. is great. Tally. You know, poor Tally. 
Um, Snoke, we talked about his death. Um, someone we haven't mentioned is Phasma, and I love that Phasma might not be dead. Oh, she's not and, dead. There's no, no way and, she's and, dead. And and she comes back the next time as 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 extra crispy Phasma. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. A death that that even in the discourse online, I have not seen many people um uh really shout out and give the proper reverence. Um, is Poe's black X wing. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and indeed so every well. single X-Wing they had left every single yeah. X-Wing they had left like there, there there are so many things that that it's kind of like oh I thought we were going to get some more of that oh we're not getting more of those guys in the fancy red armor okay um, all right um, and then the, the other the other note of death that I wanted to mention is is something that like we've we've mentioned in the spoiler slack group and that uh, people have mused about online is where are the Knights of Ren um yep. Yep. where dun, are they dun, are they dun. just nine, serenity caldwell's nine. fan club <laughs> or are they actually alive or did snoke make him do the kill the puppy test right with his classmates like <laughs> that that being a completely wide open barn door is utterly thrilling to me one of the things that Very i thought sick. about that was whether it was the the guards in snoke's room were yeah, there too and and snoke just said oh i'll have those you know, th- those <laughs> yeah. are mine now. <laughs> They're mine now. They're mine now. I do want to uh, really, really quickly, um, because we haven't mentioned it and I thought it was really awesome. A friend of mine pointed this out um, and it it strikes me. Rose's theme um, is very similar to the Rogue One theme that so the and they they often call back to, to notes of that. Uh, and amusingly, her theme plays very, very strong. Well, not I guess it makes sense. Once she saves Finn from potential inevitable death, uh, it plays very strongly while she and Finn are silhouetted by a Death Star type weapon firing as the two share a kiss. And uh, my friend Jane, who is brilliant, pointed out, you're, we're basically giving a, a nod to Jin and Cassian yeah, here yeah, with a Death yeah. Star weapon in the background, two rebels having risked everything to try and save something. In the end, realize that love is the most important thing we're saving. Okay, so so my bit is that I loved that Luke wins by not fighting. That once again, just as he did in Jedi, yes. he wins by refusing to fight. And I've seen a lot of people complain that he didn't get a heroic ending. And I'm like, did you watch the same <laughs> movie as me in 1983? Did you see what happened there? He doesn't fight. And that's how he wins. And I loved, I twigged the force projection bit. I must admit, I don't know. There's just for some reason when he appeared, I was like, what? He just walks in. Like we don't see his, his ship. His beard no... is a lot darker. He he doesn't look the same as he looked on the island. Well, like he... I mean that you can put down to. Oh, he's finally decided to have a bit of a you know. Tie yeah, but is he going to dye but... his beard just before yeah, coming it's... out? You know, my favorite bit of misdirection here is that I was totally on board with you, Anthony, when he first appeared. I'm like, this is a this is a force. Until the dice. There's no way. Well, not the dice. The dice, I was 3PO, where I was just like, 3PO recognizes him. And then that sent me off on an entire tangent after I realized that it was force projection. But I'm like, are droids connected to the force? Because they would have to be for them to see (gasps) droids are connected to the force. And yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, at one point, I started to think, wait, 
can only Leia see him? But then, obviously, you know, other people did, so that wasn't he, the he case. He only but- touched her, and that was that was the the. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, I thought the, the interesting thing with the dice, um, Leia leaves the dice behind at the end. Um, so that Kylo can come and find them and they can vanish in his hand. And I was thinking, did she leave them behind? Because at that point she knew, well, these aren't real dice. These are, you know, forced dice or something or, like that. Or did, or did she sense that Ren was, you know, leave them there for him to find? Or was she just leaving the past behind and, you know, looking to the future? But, and here's the other thing, right? That's, this is connected. The other reason that I love that whole sequence i do really love the bit about luke you know winning by not fighting but also that final scene between mark hamill and carrie fisher Mm. had that really even just thinking about it now that gets me because and i know it's not you know movies are made out of sequence i know it almost certainly was not the last scene they filmed together but what if it was you know like just the you you listen to the dialogue in that scene and it could be Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher speaking, you know, not just the characters speaking. And it is, it puts a lump in my throat and it was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. So on that note. <laughs> There's no other note to end this podcast. On. I guess, I guess not. Uh, let us uh, bid you all farewell. And yes, as Serenity said, there is so much more about this, you know, that we haven't talked about. So much more we could talk about. And I'm sure over the, you know, weeks and months to come, we'll all be having these conversations because this is, as we said, a, a, one of the first really Star Wars movies where you can really talk about a lot of the themes and issues and you know and then there are no correct answers there is no right and wrong um which is a fantastic achievement and i'm so happy that uh that disney saw that for what it is and have asked johnson to do another trilogy i really cannot wait for that it, it also it also really makes sense now the way that they announced it, which didn't make as much sense to us before we saw this movie, where he's going to do a trilogy of movies that isn't about the Skywalker family saga. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the Skywalker mm-hmm. family saga is effectively finishing. Done. Pretty much done, yeah. So, yes, let us look towards the future and bid goodbye to James Thompson. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, it is time for the podcast to end. <laughs> Serenity Caldwell, thank you very much for joining us. Beep, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> and Moises Chian, a pleasure as always. Wait, 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 but what happened to his green lightsaber? Wait, I, oh God, we could be, uh, we could no, do two more hours of another this. Another three hours. <laughs> we didn't even talk about porgs at all. Oh, uh, porgs. So, Bonus, porgs are the best. Porgs' porgs eyes porgs, are porgs, on porgs, the front. Porgs. That makes them predators. They're not prey. Yeah. <sighs> thank you, everyone for listening and we will now bid you farewell goodbye and may the force be with you